Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. Here's Johnny. Hey, motherfucker. You never go ask them out. Now what is so damn funny? And here we go. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. Force will be with you. Always. But the truth! You can't handle the truth! Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Four Real Movie Club. I am your host, Chris the Dace Man Dace, and joining me on this month edition, Mr. Tony Mango. Woo! What's up, everybody? And Miss Brianna Gayton. Hey! So this month on the Four Real Movie Club, we will be talking, uh, we're actually going to step out of our comfort zone a little bit, and instead of talking about classic films or films that have aired not within this recent year, we're going to be talking about Oscar nominees for Best Picture. We'll be running through The Imitation Game, The Theory of Everything, The Grand Budapest Hotel, and Birdman. So the first film we're going to kick off with is The Imitation Game, which is a British-American historical thriller directed by Morton Tildum. Probably butchered that. It's a screenplay by Graham Moore based on the biography Alan Turning, The Enigma of Andrew Hodges. I looked at that too. The film stars Benedict Cumberbatch, a.k.a. Doctor Strange, a.k.a. Sherlock, a.k.a. that big fucking dinosaur from... Uh, Hobbit or Dragon. <laughs> dragon, yeah. <laughs> and it's Alan Turing, not turning. Uh, damn it. So anyway, it's a British, uh, yeah, I can't say that either. Guy. He does stuff. <laughs> uh, who helped solve an Enigma code during the Second World War and was later prosecuted for his, uh, being gay and his homosexuality. The film screenplay topped the annual blacklist for Best Unproduced Hollywood Film Scripts in 2011. The Weinstein Company acquired the film for $7 million in February 2014 and is the highest amount ever paid for a U.S. distribution's right at the European film market. It was released theatrically in the U.K. on 14th of November and on the United States on the 28th of November. So, like always here on the Four Wheel Movie Club, we are going to go around the panel, which is a very small panel tonight, and ask what was your initial reaction to the imitation game. Tony, we'll start with you. All right. Uh, I've been watching a lot of movies this month. I didn't count ahead of time. I probably should have to make that more interesting. But um, I think maybe in the past month and a half since we're the 14th right now that we're recording this, I might have seen, I don't know, 15 movies or so. So I've been in a real big movie mood, and I really, really want to watch uh, a lot of, like, dramas specifically. So Imitation Game was something that made me interested at first, but it the very beginning of it was really sluggish. And uh, it, never, it, like, once I ever picked up the pace, it was a little bit better, but, man, there were sections of this I just didn't get into. And overall, I gotta say... Not too impressed for an Oscar Best Picture nominee. Brianna, what were your initial thoughts on The Imitation Game? Um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of any type of historical. Um, I I didn't even know what Enigma was, and in fact, I thought it was Enema. So I watched <laughs> the movie thinking it was about something completely different. Um, I liked the acting. The acting was good, but just not a fan of history. So it was sort of iffy for me. 
So another thing we talk about here on the uh, Formula Movie Club is casting. So obviously it stars Benedict Cumberbatch in the lead role, but it also has Kira Knightley, Matthew Good, Rory Kinnear, 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 Kinnear. Is that Greg's kid? Uh, sure. <laughs> cool. Well, you are now Greg's kid. Uh, Charles Dance, <laughs> which I've gotten called before, and Mark Strong. So Tony, when it comes to casting for this uh, biopic, what were your thoughts? Well, I mean, if you're going to ask me who would I cast as uh, Peter Hilton, I mean, I got a long list. <laughs> I, I didn't know any of these uh, actual historical figures, so I couldn't really be like, well, Benedict Cumberbatch is a terrible Alan Turing because he doesn't capture this part about him or whatever. They all seemed fine. Uh, Kira Knightley is somebody who I think gets a little bit more credit than she deserves in movies that she shouldn't and doesn't get as much credit in the ones that she does. It's kind of like a um, double a, double-edged sword, sort of. But for the most part, everybody was fine. They did their uh, parts fine. Uh, out of everybody, though, I think the person that I liked the best was Matthew Good. And I probably shouldn't have because he was kind of like the biggest dick out of the whole thing. <laughs> but uh, that just proves that he did a good enough job with that. So, Miranda, what were your thoughts on the casting for the movie? I thought it was awesome. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch did an amazing job. And, well, Keira Knightley, she doesn't do anything else but play those types of movies, you know, time pieces. But um, none of the actors I even recognized, so I didn't even know who anybody else was. But I thought Benedict Cumberbatch was awesome. So to give us a, a few facts when it comes to uh, this movie here on the Four Wheel Movie Club, uh, it has been nominated in eight categories for the 87th Academy Awards, uh, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Cumberbatch, Best Supporting Actress for Kira Knightley, and it's garnered five nominations in the 72nd Golden Globe Awards and was nominated in three categories for the 21st uh, Annual Screen Actors Guild Awards, including Outstanding Performance by a Cast in a Motion Picture. In addition, it's received nine British Academy of Film and Television Arts nominations, including Best Film and Outstanding British Film. The cast and crew were honored by the LGBT Civil Rights Advocacy and Political Lobby and Organizations Human Rights Campaign for bringing Turing's right? <laughs> legacy to a wider audience. Uh, as of this month, the film, or this month being February 2015, the film had grossed a total of $153 million worldwide against a $14 million production budget, making it the highest grossing independent film of 2014. Now, one of the things that have come with this, and we talk about it all the time on 4 Real Movie Club, is the soundtrack. Um, the London Symphony Orchestra was... Uh, hired to help record a lot of the uh, music behind this movie. Tony, what were your thoughts on the score for the imitation game? Well, since I've done more than my fair share of uh, four reels, I know now ahead of time to take notes about the um, music and I don't have a single note about any of the music in any of these movies. <laughs> I couldn't tell you if I reheard it again that it was from The Imitation Game, uh, which really kind of annoys me because one of my favorite things in movies is to you know come out with it with a, uh, an awesome soundtrack. Uh, we just watched Kingsman the other day, and the first thing I thought of when I got home was, all right, well, there was uh, Give It Up from Casey and the Sunshine Band, or I think that's them. Uh, there's the Iggy Azalea song, which I don't really like Iggy Azalea song, but, uh, Freebird. I didn't download Freebird. 
Oh. Or I should say I didn't buy. There you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I downloaded uh, the whole soundtrack for Kingsman. Yeah, I just said downloaded. Fuck it, I don't care. Um, and those uh, a couple of other songs and stuff because they stuck with me and none of the music in any of these movies did. So that's a huge disappointment to me. Brianna, what were your thoughts on the music uh, behind the Imitation Game? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I did not even pay attention to the music in it. It just didn't stick out to me at all. So I have no thoughts whatsoever on it. It just kind of <laughs> went over. Um, when it comes to the movies we're going to be discussing tonight, uh, there's two biopics. I want to think Birdman was a biopic just to be happy, but, you know, <laughs> it kind of might be. We'll get to it when we talk to it. Uh, one of the things that surround this movie is the controversy. So uh, during production, there was criticism regarding the film's uh, purported downplaying of Turing's homosexuality, particularly condemning the portrayal of his relationship with close friend and one-time fiancé, Joan Clark. Uh, Hodges, author of the book upon which the film was based, described the script as having built up the relationship with Joan much more than it actually was. Turing's surviving niece, Payne, thought that Knightley was inappropriately cast as Clark, whom she described as rather plain. Uh, speaking to Empire director Tildum, again, probably butching, uh, expressed his decision on taking on the project, it is such a complex story, it was the gay rights element, but also how his his ideas were kept secret and how incredibly important his work was during the war that he was never given credit for. So the question I'm going to present to you guys, and we'll start with you, Tony, this controversy where they um, took this historical figure and now it's the world of Hollywood and cinema and play harped more on a relationship that may not have historically been there. Do you think that that was OK for the director to say, all right, I've got Keira Knightley. She's playing this, uh, his one-time fiance Joan Clark, and I'm going to make more of a love interest there than what may have really been there. Yes and no. Um, I understand why he did it, and I can't say that I wouldn't do the same, but at the same time, this is clearly a pretty heavy-handed Oscar bait movie, and it wouldn't have been as striking in that regard if they didn't do that, which is a bit of a shame because you shouldn't have Oscar bait movies that actually work for Oscar bait. And Kira Knightley is an actress that is a big enough name that they can't just like throw her into it. Like a Matthew good, Matthew good is a, a known name, but he's not, you know, a mega star or anything like that. He can play a supporting character. Kira Knightley being pretty much the only woman in the script can't just be, you know, nobody. Uh, there would be so many people that would complain whether it were, uh, general the movie going audiences where they're like complaining that you know they wish that there would have been some kind of like a romance element or uh, different women's groups that are you know the type that would complain about something like that I mean there's groups for everything that'll complain about everything no matter what you do you could have had uh, somebody throw a red bouncy ball in this movie and somebody would have complained that the blue bouncy balls aren't getting enough credit and stuff but to try to get rid of that, they add more to it and, you know, give her more to do, bulk out the story a little bit. And at the same time, it's not really the right thing to do in my mind because you can't just take too many liberties. And if the story isn't strong enough to where it can stand on its own, I don't think that you should necessarily make the movie. You shouldn't have to add a whole lot more for an entire subplot of a movie just to justify having an extra, I don't know, half an hour's worth of material or something. So I get why they did it, 
but I'm also kind of on the fence with it. Brianna, Brianna, what are your thoughts on uh, changing historical events or taking certain liberties with uh, a biopic such as this? Well, you know, I may have been the only person that thought this, but I didn't even realize that he was a homosexual until he actually admitted it in the film. I agree with you. I did the same. Yeah. He just acted like Sheldon Cooper. <laughs> that, he acted just like him. And so I just kind of thought he was, you know, just a nerd. He just didn't really like girls or just didn't, was too shy. I don't know. But, yeah, they downplayed it a whole lot, I think, in that sense. And as far as Keira Knightley goes, I th- I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm a girl. I think she's plain. I don't find her that hot or anything. She's plain looking to me. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think she's hot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she's hot. She's just plain to me. She's funny looking. I prefer I her counterpart, Natalie Portman, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, one thing I'm going to ask for every film we go over tonight, um, because of it's a special theme for the Four Real Movie Club doing Oscar films. Um, Tony, we'll start with you. What makes this an Oscar-worthy movie compared to something like uh, Selma that did not get nominated? Selma I haven't seen yet, so I can't really take shots against it. Although Selma seems like the type of movie that I wouldn't really like because I'm not a huge fan of historical movies. Uh, This Oscar bait, uh, I mentioned that before earlier. One of the main things that's Oscar bait is obviously historical. Uh, if you throw in something that's a period piece, something that involved a war, romance, drama, you know, you hit these like check marks, then you're pretty much gonna end up getting nominated. Uh, what's that movie? Um, uh, the Angelina Jolie one that's nominated. Oh, uh, about the the racer or who ends up in like a Japanese determined. Yeah, it's like, like that. Yeah, whatever. It's like Sea Biscuit, but a dude or something. <laughs> Uh, you know, any of those, that movie, the American Sniper one, uh, one that we're going to be talking about a little bit later, Theory of Everything, all these movies just take a historical thing and they amp up the drama or, you know, if it's dramatic enough, then they don't need to do that. But, um, I don't know if this should have been nominated for best picture, but we've got a weak list of best picture nominees this year. So I don't know, uh, compared to a lot of the other ones seems like it's a safe movie if that makes sense brianna what do you think makes this an oscar worthy movie or if it's oscar worthy at all um the only thing I, well i guess i've already said this like twice already the only thing i really liked about it was benedict cumberpatch he did an amazing job and maybe it was because he looked like he was going to cry in every scene that took a lot of <laughs> acting skills he's, he's his eyes he's just gonna it was just horrible poor guy but yeah he was the only thing i liked um and probably the only reason i think it got nominated but i'm not a huge fan of oscar movies i had never heard of any of these movies at all that were nominated and i probably wouldn't have ever watched them but he's the only thing i liked in it okay before we wrap up this movie uh we're gonna go around the table one more time uh, and find out our final thoughts, and you're going to give it a rating between 1 and 10, 10 being uh, go see it, 1 saying uh, probably set it on fire if it comes anywhere near close to you. So, 
Tony, final thoughts and rating one to ten on the imitation game. Uh, let's see. Rating wise, uh, maybe a six. It's uh, you know, it does better than an average movie, but it's not anything I'm gonna watch again. I wouldn't set it on fire. <laughs> you know, if somebody hands me a DVD, I'm not gonna be like burning up my skin or something. But uh, there were parts in it that I thought were okay, parts that really dragged. The relationship drama stuff I thought was a huge drag on the movie, and I was really happy to see that they subverted the trope and it turned out that he was gay because I didn't know ahead of time that he was. So uh, that was cool, but at the same time, uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you could tell that that kid's brother was doomed as fuck. <laughs> and that was just like, I'm waiting for that to happen. Uh, as far as like favorite scenes, least favorite scenes and stuff like that, I guess my favorite would probably be when he fires the other people, because that was actually like a, the first time that there was like a little bit of levity in the movie. Uh, maybe when the machine works, that was kind of good, but my least favorite parts were the flashbacks with the kid. I just did not find them entertaining. Yeah, what did they have to do with the movie at all anyway? It, it just didn't make sense. It, it was basically there just to be like, you know, this is the guy that he loves and we're going to waste a lot of time on it. <laughs> Tony, what was your uh, rank? One to ten? Was it six? Yeah, six. I'll go with that. Did I just coerce you into a six? <laughs> you, I have six or seven down, and since you reminded me that I had said six, I'm demoting it to a six, definitely. Sweet, I can sway people. <laughs> uh, Brianna, what were your final thoughts, favorite scenes, least favorite scenes, and a ranking one to ten on the imitation game? Okay, I am going to give this a seven, but only because, you know, Benedict again. And uh, I thought it was pretty educational and kind of diverse, you know, with the women's rights and the homosexuality and, you know, just everything with the war. So it was pretty educational. So that's why I'm going to recommend it a seven. I, the only, I don't have any favorite scenes cause it was just one of those average type movies where nothing really stuck out more than anything else. But I, I do think those flashbacks were really boring just because I thought they were friends the entire time. So <laughs> that whole thing where he's in love with his friend at the end just kind of changed the whole thing for me. I'm like, oh, I thought they were just sweet friends and now they were in love with each other. And then I got the fact that he named that computer after him and it just changed everything. So I just wasn't a big fan of those flashbacks either. Well, there you have it, fans out there in the movie-going world. Uh, that was The Imitation Game, so stick around, let the playlist just kick into the next film, because the next film we will be talking about here on the Four Real Movie Club is the biopic for Stephen Hawking, The Theory of Everything. So sit back, relax, and check out the next video here on the Four Real Movie Club. Welcome back to the Four Real Movie Club. We are moving on to our second movie that for this month, where we talk about Oscar-nominated films for Best Picture. In this segment, we will be talking about The Theory of Everything, which is a 2014 British bi biographical romantic drama film, let's throw more adjectives in there, directed by James Marsh and adapted by Anthony McCartan from the memoir Traveling to Infinity, My Life with Stephen, by Jane Wilde Hawking, so his wife, yeah, there you go, which deals with her relationships with her ex-husband. Uh-oh, should have read ahead. Theoretically, <laughs> this is Stephen Hawking's. Uh, is diagnosed with motor neuron disease and his success in physics. 
The film stars Eddie Redman, the creepy guy from Jupiter Ascending, and Felicity Jones with Car- uh, Charlie Cox, Emily Watson, Simon McBurney, Christian McKay, and David Thewlis um, featured in supporting roles. The film has had its world premiere in the 2014 Toronto International Film Festival on the 7th of September of last year, 2014. So, we're going to start with you this time, Brianna. What were your initial thoughts on The Theory of Everything? You know, I thought it was going to be a lot different. I thought it would actually be more based on the book. But my initial thoughts were just kind of bored. I was so bored throughout this entire movie. And... I thought that it was just a, a love story. That's all it was. It didn't really get much into his illness or their marriage or just any of the hardships with the handicap. So I, I just thought it was so average. I don't even know how it got on. I, well, I guess just because who it's about is the only reason that it could have even possibly gotten on the Oscar list. It was horrible. Mr. Mango, what were your thoughts on the theory of everything? Uh, all right. Um, that's a nice way to say this. Yeah, I think when you like sigh like that, I don't think it's. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it mildly sucked. Let's put it this way: it's my least favorite out of the bunch here, and that's not saying much because I, the movie that I like the best out of this, spoiler alert, is Birdman, and I was that's the first one I watched, and I was like, crap! If that's the best one, I'm gonna really dislike these movies. <laughs> Uh, theory of everything is not full of everything. Uh, it needs a lot more to it. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah, it sucked. <laughs> uh, when it comes to casting, at least for me, I don't know too many of these people, especially when it comes to British films. I am not up to date on British actors unless you played Doctor Who. Um, the film, like I said, stars Eddie Redman and uh, Felicity Jones. Tony, what do you think of the casting for this film? Well, we've got the three main people in the film all have ties to comic book movies, which uh, I found kind of interesting. Eddie Redmayne was the secondary choice that they were going to have for Doctor Doom, which uh, they decided to go with somebody else. I can't remember his name. but Good for him. Maybe. I don't know. He did kick ass in this part, though. Uh, he is, the, without a doubt, the best part of this movie. Like, hands down. Uh, Eddie Redmayne, I think, should win the Oscar. But everybody else sucks. Like, Felicity Jones is very attractive. She uh, handled the role fine. But you could have put anybody else in that role, and they would have done the same job. And... She sucked as uh, Black Cat in Mighty Ran, so she loses points for that. Charlie Cox, Daredevil, pretty likable guy. And, you know, I bought into the idea that he would be somebody that she could fall for. And, you know, I didn't hate him for, like, breaking up a marriage or anything like that. But, again, pretty much any guy who's around that age and uh, attractive enough and charming enough and whatever could play that part. It's... This is a one-man show, and it, I would have been fine with this movie existing of just Eddie Redmayne doing his impression of Stephen Hawking. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Anybody else get the picture of Howard Wallowitz from the Big Bang Theory <laughs> doing his yeah. version? Okay. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't the only horrible human being. The weird thing, though, is 
Benedict Cumberbatch played Stephen Hawking in a movie before, and he was nominated for a buttload of awards for that. And I didn't see that movie that he had played it in, but I did see a couple of clips just to compare the two, and Eddie Redmayne kicks his ass. (laughs) He is so much better at it. Uh, Brianna, what were your thoughts on the casting for The Theory of Everything? You know, I have some of this, pretty much the same thoughts. Eddie Redmayne did an awesome job. He... Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know too much about Stephen Hawking or what he looks like. I've seen, I think the only experience I have with Stephen Hawking is an episode of Family Guy, to be honest. That's all I know about him, <laughs> which probably isn't a good impression. But he did an awesome job. He, I think he got it down pretty good. And everybody else, I never even heard of them. I don't even know who they are. So, yeah, Eddie Redmayne the best thing about the movie. Uh, to give some facts about the film before we roll on to the next couple of questions, uh, it, it opened to a positive reception worldwide and it's been nominated for various uh, accolades in award shows and film festivals. It's received four Golden Globe Award nominations, winning the Golden Globe Award for Best Actor in a Motion Picture Drama and uh, the Best Original Score. Uh, it received the 21st Annual Screen Actors Guild Award nominations, winning one for the Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance by a Male Actor in a Lead Role, Redmayne. So he, he's got back-to-back wins there. Uh, it received 10 nominations in the British Academy Film Awards, or BAFTA, which sounds like a creature from Star Wars, and went on to win three. Outstanding British Film, Best Leading Actor, again, and Best Ad- Adapted Screenplay, which is Anthony McCartan. Uh, the film also received five Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture, which is our theme tonight, Best Actor, Best Actress, and they didn't tell me the other ones. So, just like we talked about with the previous film, if you guys were listening, if not, go back and watch that video. Cheap plug. Uh, what did you think about the musical score when it came to this movie? I know we touched base a little bit on the last film, but uh, what did you think on this one, Tony? Uh... Yeah, I don't remember much about it, but I do have this as my potential pick to win. So something must have made me think that it could win. <laughs> and I probably, if I listen back to it, there's probably a couple of different things that I liked about it. Um, I vaguely remember thinking back now that there might have been a sequence where I thought that the music was good and I just didn't write the note down. And I can't remember what that would be. I sound like I'm like saying this out of my ass and making it up, but I'm telling the truth here. <laughs> Um, Johan Johansson, I think, is the guy who did this. Yeah, that's I'm sure I'm pronouncing that right. We'll just call him John John. Yeah, good old Johnny boy. <laughs> uh, Johnny boy, uh, good job there. Um, <laughs> there, there was definitely something in here. I wish that I would have written that note down, but I watched all these movies when I was laying in bed trying to go to sleep after being up for like 24 hours. So they all kind of um, had like sparse notes, you know, written on my phone and stuff, but. Uh, I've heard good things about it. I've obviously heard it <laughs> since I watched the movie, and it seems like that's probably the front runner. So, um, thumbs up. Brianna, what were your thoughts on the uh, musical score behind the theory of everything? You know, the only time I even remember the music because I did not write down anything about the music in this movie was I think there what might have been like a, a a sad scene at the end, and that's all I remember. But, yeah, I have no thoughts on it, so I didn't write anything down about the music. That might have been the same one that I was thinking of. 
towards the end. Yeah, it wasn't a happy thing. I know that. No. Because there's not much happy in this movie. <laughs> so, uh, an interesting post-production note that I think is worth mentioning is uh, during the editing, filmmakers tried to remake Hawking's synthesized voice. Uh, not by Howard Wallowitz, but just tried it on their own. And it didn't turn out as they wanted. So, however, Hawkins himself, after seeing the film, told the filmmakers that he enjoyed the film so much, he granted them permission to use his own synthesized voice, which is used in the final film. Do you think if they would have tried to do their own style of his synthesized voice, that it would have taken away from the film? Uh, probably got chastised, criticized. Uh, Tony? Kind of depends. I mean, if they tried to make him Darth Vader, then yeah. <laughs> Particles. Okay. Uh, I probably wouldn't have been able to tell. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it depends on how bad it is. But if they could get him to do it, then cool. That gets uh, Hawking a screen credit. And, you know, he could qualify for SAG now, I think. Yeah, yeah he's been in Big Bang Theory and a couple other things. Yeah. He was a cartoon character in Family Guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brianna, what were your thoughts on if they had tried to do their own synthesizing of his voice? Did you say that they actually used his voice? They they used the, uh, the I guess whatever program or synthesization they used. They used Stephen Hawking's rather than trying to do it on their own. You know, I thought it, if that's really what he sounds like, which I guess it does, because then you know if they they had made that mention in the movie about it not being British. <laughs> I think it was something like that. Yeah, uh, after they had his voice, they're like, "Oh, he's not British. It's it's an American voice." But yeah, I guess if it, if people might know him by his voice. So if it sounded different than what he actually sounded like, then maybe people wouldn't have identified with it as much. But um, I don't know. I I need to look him up more and find out what he actually sounds like. I have no idea. They just hooked him up to Peter Frampton's guitar. <laughs> Do, Do you feel? feel? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, the entire time this movie was going, I just kept thinking of that scene in Family Guy. That's <laughs> that. Uh, I guess where he's trying to have sex with his wheelchair partner, <laughs> and they're just like, "Oh, that's just what I kept thinking of the entire time," and it ruined it for me. <sighs> So one question I got to ask you guys, and mainly because it bugs the hell out of me as a person that wanted to see some of these films, but, you know, they do this stupid thing. With Oscar-nominated films for Best Picture, there is a high probability that half the nominations get limited releases. Why do you think they do that, and why are they assholes that when a guy wants to go see Birdman in the theaters, they make it in a theater that's two hours away? Tony? I think it's that pretentiousness. Uh, a lot of these movies that – it's not that they release them – because they're Oscar-related movies, they get nominated for the Oscars because they're these independent kind of films. And that's like the snooty, this is better than the other mainstream kind of thing that I think lends itself to a lot of the different nominees. Uh, you could look at a movie like uh, Grand Budapest, and that probably has the widest release out of everything. Yeah. Outside of maybe Birdman. But um, these are the type of movies that usually independent films have a lot more heart and a lot more style to them, but these I don't think necessarily are the case. I think that this is a case where if you go to an art gallery, you might find a couple Picassos, 
but you're also going to find a lot of douchey people that think that they're Picasso. Um, so I think it's a byproduct of them not being able to catch a mainstream audience. So if they don't release them that far, then that kind of makes it seem like exclusive. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the Academy people are like, well, you know, everybody's talking about, I'm going to say right now, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, probably the best movie in 2014, Easily. I would think. Uh, and that should have been nominated at the very least nominated for best uh, adapted screenplay. It's mm-hmm. annoying me that it doesn't uh, have that nomination, but you look at a movie like that and it's like, well, it's a stupid Captain America beat em up comic book movie. Yeah, well, it's also a really good spy thriller. And if you look at something like Theory of Everything, well, it's got this, you know, it's about religion and it's about uh, science and history and love and whatever. No, it's about Stephen Hawking being a douchebag for the first half of the movie, and then he gets his comeuppance. That's essentially what it comes out to. He was a douchebag. He is an ass. Like, I didn't like him at all until he ends up, you know, being wheelchair-bound. And then I felt a little bit bad for him, but then that's the point where his wife turns into a bitch. And it's like, I'm supposed to root for these people? They're a bunch of jerks. So, you know, it's a good thing that they're not eating up screens in these movie theaters because I'd much rather watch Guardians of the Galaxy in three different movie screens. That makes sense. Uh, Brianna, what are your thoughts on why these Oscar-nominated films, such as The Theory of Everything, uh, get limited releases? It it seems to be just in the States. I don't know why they do it. They're just assholes, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Simple place to put it. None of these movies played at my local theater at all. Which I don't think anybody would have gone to see them anyway, just because they are out there seeing the actual good movies that released so, <laughs> this year. But yeah, they're just stupid. So I think it's safe to say that the Academy promotes piracy. That there's no way in the world you're going to be able to find this locally. Just go ahead and torrent it off the internet. So you, this is your fault, Academy. <laughs> no, we we didn't do that. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, no, I went down to local Back Joe's to on the corner. All these- <laughs> went to that one movie theater eight hours away it's a rinky dink uh, place they don't even have popcorn and they just give you like uh kale it felt kale. like piracy <laughs> is there a movie theater that actually gives out kale oh god i hope not <laughs> although i've been told that if you uh put like olive oil and fry up or bake or whatever kale that it comes out like potato chips so i don't know Maybe there's a popcorn method. Either way, anybody who do- eats that kind of stuff in a movie theater, you deserve to get punched. Yeah. And should go check out the theory of everything. So what we're yeah. going to do is we're going to give everybody uh, one more time around the table. We'll start with you, Brianna. Final thoughts on the theory of everything, favorite, least favorite scenes, and a score to 1 to 10. Okay, I'm going to score it. Gosh, this is a hard one. I'm going to do 4.5. I just, I just can't decide. No, I'm going to, no, I changed my mind. This is going down to a three. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going down to a four. <laughs> yeah, this is a drop. That's a drop. Um, you know, if they had made it more raw about actually what happened in their marriage, it would have been okay if it wasn't just this love story or a wannabe love story. I, I would have liked it a lot more. Um, but, you know, the whole, the actually, it's not even based on the book. It's, like, loosely translated is what I want to call it. it. The only thing that's it has anything to do with them is, you know, his disease. 
So I didn't have any favorite scenes. Um, I thought it was kind of funny when they went to uh, his dad's place and they had those those stairs and they're like trying to push his wheelchair up these, you know, 50 stairs. I thought that was stupid. But yeah, I'm going to give it a three just because it was boring. Tony, what were your final thoughts, favorite and least favorite scene and a score one to ten? You can't get me to like a movie if you immediately start it off with a forced romance where you're basically telling the audience these two love each other because that's what happened and just go with it. We got shit to do. So that really annoyed me. And the rest of the film, for the most part, is essentially just, hey, this guy's life sucks, doesn't it? Smart guy, though, am I right? (laughs) (laughs) So I really didn't have any favorite scenes. Uh, Any of my least favorite scenes, I didn't like anything that dealt with them uh, setting up the relationship at the beginning because it felt so forced. And I guess if I had to pick a favorite scene, it probably would end up being that... uh, symposium or whatever that he was doing that uh, the lecture where he you know cracked a couple jokes because it was like the only time i could chuckle a little bit in the movie the rest of it was just kind of like here's a bunch of jerks and sadness and he's horny as hell and that's uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) you didn't laugh every time he fell out of his fell (laughs) no i felt too bad at that point like the first time when he falls and he hits his head on the concrete, I did laugh at that because it was filmed in such a weird way. It was just kind of like boink, like he bounced up in the air. But you know when he starts like not being able to talk right, whatever that I'm like, ah, I've done enough bad things in my life. I gotta stop laughing at these kind of things. <laughs> the fact that it's a real guy, that made it harder. Uh, at most, I'm giving this a five, and that should not happen with an Oscar film. So there you have it, folks. That is the theory of everything, and it is at least average, if not below average, in some of our instances. Stick around, go to the third video, and check out what we'll be talking about next, which is Wes Anderson's The Grand Budapest Hotel. So sit back, grab a Coke, eat some popcorn, and check out the next video. Or some kale. (laughs) And check out the next film here on the 4Real Movie Club. Welcome back to the 4Real Movie Club. We are on our third film for Oscar-nominated films for Best Picture. In this segment, we will be talking about The Grand Budapest Hotel, a 2014 comedy film written and directed by Wes Anderson and inspired by the writings of Stefan Zieg. Zieg Uh It stars <laughs> Ralph... Oh, Jesus, names. Why can't you just be called John Doe? Fines. Ralph Fines, there we go, <laughs> as a concierge who teams up with one of his employees, Tony Revolori, I think you got that, to prove his innocence after he is framed for murder. Going around the table, we'll start with you, Mr. Mango. What are your initial thoughts on Wes Anderson's The Grand Budapest, Grand Budapest Hotel? <laughs> Budapest. Budapest. Uh, Wes Anderson is somebody that I'm not a big fan of. I haven't actually seen more of his films to give me a real you know, uh, true idea of what he's got. I did watch Rushmore, and I thought it was really dumb. Everybody praises that, so maybe I have to rewatch it because I watched it in like 1999 on Comedy Central, where I'm expecting to watch something like Biodome or some shit, and uh, you know, I wasn't in the mood to watch something that was more intellectual. I tried watching a little bit of Royal Tenenbaums, 
because that was recommended to me as like this is the perfect movie for you tony you would love it and it seemed just pretentious as all hell so uh when i knew that this was wes anderson i kind of immediately stayed away from it but I, I i'll admit i'm more of a fan of this movie than i thought that i was going to be and i actually thought that it was kind of entertaining Brianna, what were your thoughts on the uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel? Yeah, this was the first movie I watched because I like comedies. Those are my favorite types of movies. And so I watched the trailer and I was just busting out laughing the entire time the trailer was going. But uh, after I watched it, that was like the only funny part in the movie is when he says, um, what does he say? Uh, Take your hands off my lobby boy. Or something like that. Yeah. That was the only funny part of the movie. I didn't laugh any other time. But... You didn't laugh when um, he said that you think that I killed her and then he immediately just runs away. <laughs> I laughed <laughs> that, at that part. That was funny. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, it, just, it just wasn't funny. Maybe just not my type of funny. You know, I like Paul Rudd funny. And those types of funny movies. Anything with uh, James Franco in it. That's funny to me. I guess naughty funny is good to me. Not, you know, punchline funny. But other than that, it was just average. And it felt like a big waste of time for me. But I didn't enjoy it very much. When it comes to this film, the the cast is huge and phenomenal. I think they gave uh, star and credit to certain people that weren't utilized enough. But it, it, nevertheless, they were considered starred in the film. The film has Ralph Fiennes, F. Murray Abraham, Matu Amarlik, Adrian Matthew. Brody. What's that? <laughs> Matthew Amalric, I think is his name. I don't know. I just know him as uh, that shitty villain from Quantum of Solace, that shitty Bond film. <laughs> uh, it also has Adrian Brody, Willem Dafoe, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, Harvey Keitel, Jude Law, Bill Murray, Ed Norton, and then a bunch of other people. Owen Wilson, and it's just it, it, they grabbed a lot of cameos here and there. Uh, I was honestly going into this expecting more Bill Murray. There's maybe 30 seconds of the man. What did you think, Tony, of the casting when it came to the Grand Budapest Hotel? Casting is awesome. Uh, a lot of these people have worked with Wes Anderson before, so they've got that buddy connection. Kind of like how uh, Tarantino throws a lot of his same people in there. You can kind of look at, like... Uh, somebody maybe like uh, Owen Wilson. I know that he's been in a lot of different uh, Wes Anderson films. He's kind of like the same as Tarantino with Sam Jackson and stuff. Uh, some people, not as much as some other ones. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Sarah I think it is, uh, who plays Agatha in it. She was just meh. Uh, I was disappointed to not see as much Bill Murray, like you had said. Tilda Swinton was a surprise for me. I didn't even recognize that that was her. I was just assuming that this was some old actress that I wasn't sure of the name or whatever, but uh, Adrian Brody was one of my favorite parts of the whole film. Easily my favorite was Rake Fiennes. Uh, but Goldblum was the surprise. I didn't expect to see him pop up. And there, I thought for a while that one of the guys was Rowan Atkinson, one of the prisoners. And then I found out later on that it completely wasn't. It's just some other guy that I <laughs> don't recognize at all. So uh, Rowan Atkinson did a good job of playing a different actor playing a different part. <laughs> Bob Balaban's in this. Like, he just pops up out of nowhere, too. Uh, you know, I liked 
pretty much everybody in all their roles, some people were stronger than others. And I do think that's a little bit weird, though. F. Mary Abraham does not look like uh, the old version of the whoever the name of the guy is who played Zero. Just, I, I don't know, I, before we, I, I ask uh, opinion for rebrand, I want to make, just want to ask Tony this question. When you were watching the previews for this, uh, like, at least, at least I remember when these previews came across, didn't it feel like Bill Murray was going to be in this movie a hell of a lot more? Well, they know that Bill Murray is, you know, one of the stars, so they're going to try to market that as much as possible. I think that, that was... the uh, trailer even has, like, more Jude Law than it kind of is in the movie somehow. Yeah, because I, I I felt a little gypped when Bill Murray didn't come in till the end. Spoiler alert, it doesn't come until the friggin' end. And really just it has like maybe three lines, not even that many. Um, Brianna, what were your thoughts on the casting, on this all-star cast? The, uh, the casting was really good. I liked the casting, and all the cameos were kind of fun to kind of pick them out, because they, they all had these weird disguises on. Um, I liked Adrian Brody. He was really good, and... Uh, who was the actor that played the lobby boy? Whoever he was. Tony Revolori. Yeah, him, whoever he was. He he did a pretty good job. But out of everything, I think the cameos probably are, is the big reason why the movie maybe got picked for an Oscar. I don't know. Uh, in my sense, just they had this, you know, big casting with it but i really liked edward norton he's probably my favorite i don't know if if you guys but when it came to harvey Keitel, it took me a little while to realize that was him yeah i thought he was uh the other bald guy that i can't think of his name right now but he plays like a grandfather in many things Um, alan arkin i think that was yeah yeah i thought it was alan arkin too and i was just like shit alan arkin's in this what the oh wait that's not alan arkin he sounds like harvey Keitel. yeah he did something that was like, no, 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 that's Pulp Fiction-like. Right. And then I was like, oh, that's Harvey. <laughs> um, but yeah, the casting was phenomenal. Uh, just to give some facts about the movie as it heads into the Academy Awards on the 22nd. Uh, it's been uh, – the film is a British-German co-production that was financed by German financial companies and film funding organizations. It was filmed in Germany. The Grand Budapest Hotel was released to general acclaim from film critics, and many included it in the year's end, uh, the year end list in the top ten. Uh, the film led the BAFTA nominations with 11 nominations, more than any other film, with awards including Best Film, Best Director, Best Actor for Fines, and the film won the Golden Globe Award for Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy, and garnered three more Golden Globe Award nominations, including Best Director for Anderson, and it also garnered nine Academy Award nominations. The joint, uh, most of the ceremony, including Best Picture and Best Director. So like I had asked on the other film, um, Tony, why do you think this is Oscar worthy? More so than Theory of Everything and Imitation Game, this tries to do something a little different, which I recommend to some people to try if they're going for that kind of a thing. Different isn't always good. A lot of the times it's horrible, but uh, I would rather see a movie that feels like a complete film and isn't just pure Oscar bait get nominated than to see things that are safe bets. And I think that that makes this stand out a little bit more. Maybe it's partially because of the cast. Maybe it's partially because Wes Anderson hasn't ever won Best Picture and they kind of just – every once in a while you get to the point where you start throwing bones to a lot of the directors and stuff. 
Um, a lot of different factors. It's not going to win. Um, it's not going to win for Imitation Game or Theory of Everything either, but uh, Grand Budapest is not a strong enough movie to win Best Picture. If it does win, uh, at least Theory of Everything and Imitation Game didn't. <laughs> Brianna, what are your thoughts? What makes the Grand Budapest Hotel uh, an Oscar-worthy nomination? You know, what I think happened is they had this script, and they had a really great... Funding. I don't know what they did with it, but I think they just had this script. They wanted to get it nominated for an Oscar, so they just pulled in all of these actors just in hopes that, you know, one of these names would help them get noticed. I don't know why it got picked. You know, I said I didn't like it very much, but I just think it's just the cast. It's probably the only reason that it's even up there, but I, I didn't think it was that great. What about you, Dace? Anything stand out to you? It's a different style. I know when it comes to this film that, like you had said, uh, if you watch the biopic, there's like three biopics being nominated for uh, this year's Best Picture. If you watch this, it's a comedy, and it's it's something we're going to go into next. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys about the segments. There, it's like a six or a seven part thing with a prologue, epilogue, and then five parts, which is just it was an interesting format the way they did it, and the fast pacedness of it. The dialogue was very quick, and I know I was talking to you about this during our Thursday night get-together, Tony, when we do the bar nights. It's, you'll miss something. If you're not paying attention to the movie, jokes go flying over your head like crazy. I was working and trying to watch at the same time, so I probably missed 75% of the jokes. Um, Like I said, it's a different style. It stands out compared to almost everything that's being done uh, for Best Picture. And I think that's probably why. It was kind of a hat tip. Like, hey, you're thinking out of the box. You didn't go with a biopic. Because <laughs> that seems to go, too. They watched um, uh, Fear of Everything, and then they watched Imitation Game, and then they watched Selma, and they were just like, fuck, give me something different. All right, a bunch of bright colors, give it to me. <laughs> it, 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 just, it just seems like it was, look, we, we've got so much depressing shit. That's our best picture. Why not just go with a comedy to lighten, like, lighten the mood a little bit? Oh, Selma's not a comedy? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those all it's dark humor. <laughs> well, another part, and what I kind of touched base on it, and I'm going to start with you, Tony. What did you think about the segmenting on the uh, when it came to this film? Because it did the prologue, and it did part one through five, and then epilogue. It's unnecessary. It's just a style choice that they did to kind of jerk themselves off. <laughs> you know, when you start a movie and it tells you the aspect ratio that you should have. That's the pretentiousness that I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm going to have 16.9. Because that's what every movie should have now. We've gotten to the point where we don't have to film in, you know, uh, 480. We've got 4K. So don't give me, you know, a film where you box out the aspect ratio because you want to seem like it's different because it's in the past or whatever like that. I get it. You're trying to be catchy with like your you know artsy fartsy kind of crap or whatever but i mentioned it earlier uh the james bond film quantum of solace mm-hmm. with uh, the guy who plays serge x in this that was a movie where bond's got a formula not that you know wes anderson does and grand budapest Show hotel like is some series or something like that but that movie one of the things that annoyed me about it was the director mark foster or forster i can't remember for sure um he decided that he wanted to have four action uh, set pieces in the movie that would parallel 
the four elements, like we're going to have fire in one scene. That's going to be the major thing. And then we're going to have a boat scene for water and an airplane scene for air and, you know, that kind of crap. And he also had like different fonts for every area that they went instead of just like a standard bank Gothic uh, text or something. I can appreciate when people try to go outside the box, try to do something a little bit artistic, but if you're doing it for the sake of making yourself seem like a more artsy director, I'm going to lash out against it a little bit. So I would have rather had seen this movie be entirely widescreen and it didn't give me any extra um, positives for it to not be. If anything, that was more, a little bit more annoying because I, there could have been some kind of an off uh, joke on the side or something that they had cut out. You know, mm-hmm. Brianna, what were your thoughts on uh, the segmenting of the movie? Um, the intro, I really thought it was misleading because you know you had this old guy and Jude Law, and they're telling a story, and I really thought that they were going somewhere else with the story, just from the dialogue. I thought it'd be more of a because they tried to be a whodunit movie, but it, I don't think they really got there all the way. I really expected more of a mystery, but it, it just wasn't really a mystery to me at all, with it all. But it just it didn't do anything for me. I didn't care much for it. Clerks is better. <laughs> yeah, Clerks is a lot better. All right, so it's that time of the uh, segment where we go around, we get our final thoughts Best uh, scene, least favorite scene, and a rank 1 to 10. Tony, we'll start with you. What did you think? Fines is the best character in this whole film. Monsieur Gustave, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Um, any part where he was bantering back and forth was probably my favorite, but I did like three parts in particular as my some of my favorites. Um, that was, <laughs> I'm going to blast your candy ass. <laughs> That line just caught me off guard. I thought that, that was funny. Um, his exchange with Adrian Brody when they pretty much introduce his character and he calls him a faggot and he's like, you know, offended because he should be. It's like, well, what, what's wrong with being gay? Like, you know, why is that an insult? And then he turns it right back to him again and he's like, you know, what about the punches and all that kind of stuff? And he's like, oh, I thought I was supposed to be a faggot or something. Like, you know, <laughs> I thought that, that was a funny uh, shot right there. But probably my favorite thing, and it's just cause I have a stupid sense of humor. I like movies, like, my favorite comedies are Men in Tights, Clerks, uh, Naked Gun. Is I laugh from the beginning of the end of Naked Gun. If something is kind of clever, I find it funnier than something that's like a slapsticky kind of thing or something, but I did find it really funny, the random gunfight towards the end, where they just flat out say, who's shooting who? <laughs> <laughs> Least favorite stuff, the opening and the closing at the gravesite, the memorial thing, that just felt out of place, like Brianna said. Uh, the idea of splitting the movie up in the chapters, I could have gotten behind if the beginning and the end of the chapters felt like they had much more of a purpose to them. Um... And another thing I didn't like about this, and this is a really, like, horrible thing for me to just be like, fuck, I didn't like this. Did uh, Agatha really need to have that ugly birthmark? <laughs> that was, like, really distracting. Yeah. Kind of gross. Uh, sorry to people with giant um, Putin birthmarks. <laughs> or not, it's not Putin. Who was it? Uh, who I was just keep guy? thinking of Savage from uh, the Austin Powers movie. 
Mole, 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 mole. I kept looking at it. I couldn't stop. Oh, I can't think of the Russian guy. What his name is? I keep thinking of Lenin. I don't think it was Lenin. It's not Stalin. I know, <laughs> but but a Russian uh, birthmark thing. Um, Gorbachev. Is that it? Sure. Yeah. I, those are the only four names I know. I don't know Milosevic or something. Uh, birthmark was ugly, so I didn't like that. That's basically what that's getting <laughs> down to. <laughs> I'd probably give this either a six or a seven out of a ten. That's a pretty high score, but you know what? Out of these movies, I thought I was gonna hate this the most and i ended up actually pretty much kind of enjoying it overall um i'll probably never watch it again (laughs) and this would be the type of movie where i could see it being nominated for best picture but i can't see it winning and in this week list i would rather it win than the first two that we talked about brianna what were your final thoughts favorite least favorite moment in a rank one to ten okay um you know, like you had said, some if you looked away for a minute with the movie, you might miss something. I looked away when it came to that book, that birthmark. I looked away for like maybe a minute. I don't know what I did. I think I was <laughs> in the bathroom or something. I came back. I literally thought that someone was playing a joke, that they had like drawn a penis or something on her face. <laughs> I don't know. So I'm going through this movie completely confused as to why I... I think it took like four or five scenes before I realized it was an actual birthmark on her face. And it was stupid. You're right. It made no sense whatsoever. It didn't add to her character or anything. Um, So that was probably one of my least favorite parts. And then I just didn't like the fights because there was like a bloody nose in every fight. So you have like six characters all fighting each other and each one of them has a bloody nose. It's just like they're just trying to be funny with these bloody noses. But bloody noses aren't funny to me. You know, whatever. But um, I liked it more than Theory of Everything. But I'm going to give it a 4. Just because it wasn't as funny. But it might have been funny if if they went with a different plot line. I think that's the only change that I was looking for. If they went for a different plot line... Like, more of a a clue type, where they actually stay at the hotel and, like, try to figure out who who murdered this millionaire heiress lady. It might have been a little bit better. So, yeah, four. And I'm never going to watch it again. (laughs) Well, there you have it. We'll watch again. (laughs) Well, there you have it, folks. That is the final grand total for the Grand Budapest Hotel. If you're well, you are watching on YouTube, so make sure you go to the fourth film where we'll be talking about Birdman, the um, more or less I would say front runner when it comes to these films. So stick tuned, grab a coke, eat some popcorn, do what you got to do, kale if you listen to the second part, and check out the next film here on the Four Real Movie Club. Welcome back to the fourth and final segment here on the Four Real Movie Club with the February theme of Best Picture nominees for the Oscars. In this segment, we'll be talking about Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, which is a 2014 American black comedy drama film co-written, produced, and directed by Alejandro Gonzalez. Not saying that last part, so we'll just call him uh, Alex Gonzalez. Arriba. Good old Al. Yeah, hey Al. Uh, (laughs) It stars uh, Batman, Michael Keaton, Zach Galifianakis, Edward Norton, Andrea Riseborough, Amy Ryan, Emma Stone, and Naomi Watts. Did not know she was in that. Unfortunately, did not get to see this one because I'm a procrastinator. 
Keaton plays a faded Hollywood actor famous for his superhero role, struggling to mount a Broadway adaptation of a Raymond Carver story. Personally, I was excited to see this film because he's playing a role for an actor. Like, he was a famous superhero. He played Batman. Now he's playing Birdman. It really felt like it was a knock at him, which is funny. Initial thoughts, Tony, on the film Birdman. Birdman was a movie I really wanted to check out, and I'm glad that I did. I liked it. Um, Not as much as I was hoping to, but it's my favorite out of the four that we've done. So we'll be getting a higher score a little bit later on. Um, Disappointed in some regards because it takes itself a little bit too seriously sometimes. And at the other times where I think that it should, it gets a little silly. But it was interesting, and I think it's going to win Best Picture. Brianna, what were your initial thoughts on Birdman? This one was my favorite as well. Um, That second part, the unexpected virtue of ignorance. I mean, why why have two names for a movie? And I don't even understand what the unexpected virtue of ignorance means. I like it makes you really have to think about it because just saying it offhand, it, it doesn't really mean anything. But after you watch the movie, it means a little bit more. Um, yeah, I liked it better than any of the other ones. Some of the storylines, like, they didn't have anything to do with the whole movie, especially the storyline that followed his daughter. That was just, I mean, she wasn't even a good character. I just didn't understand what she had to do with the movie. But yeah, it definitely, it kept going from something really serious and then the Birdman would pop out and then you don't even know if it's real or not. And it got kind of confusing in that regard, but I really liked it. I thought it was a good movie. Tony, what were your thoughts on uh, casting? This is actually out of the four films we talked tonight, uh, Edward Norton's second film. So he, he picked some good roles. Uh, what did you think about the casting for Birdman? Really good. Uh, there's only a couple characters in here and the people that, you know, Frank Ridley and, uh, Lindsay Duncan or whatever, you know, they can be replaced. They don't matter. But the core five people or so, uh, they really actually serve a purpose. Naomi Watts is a good choice for when it comes to like the stereotypical uh, look of what a Hollywood star should be. Zach Galifianakis, it's a, one of the first times that I've actually liked him in movies now that he had gotten really popular because there's a lot of p- for, uh, different comedians that when they get really famous for doing one thing, they do that way too much and then it gets annoying. Will Ferrell just became Will Ferrell in his movies. Robin Williams did the same thing over and over again. Zach Galifianakis was just a funny fat guy from The Hangover. So seeing him be not the funny fat guy from Hangover was a huge step up. I like Emma Stone a lot. I think she's really underrated. Um, and I don't like her just for her looks, although I do think that she's, like, gorgeous. Uh, Edward Norton's one of my favorite actors. He kills it at this part. He's just, you know, playing Edward Norton, which is really similar to how Michael Keaton seems like he would be playing Michael Keaton, but he said in interviews that the character is completely different from him, so all the theories about him being, like, as bitter and crazy and stuff about the Batman character apparently isn't the same, but uh, I kind of would be disappointed if Michael Keaton won best actor 
and I think that he is going to end up winning it, and a lot of people are praising him for this, but I don't think that he is as good as Eddie Redmayne is from Theory of Everything. Everybody else, though, and including Michael Keaton, as far as the movie itself goes, you know, great uh, choices for casting. Brianna, what were your thoughts on the casting for Birdman? The casting was awesome. I really liked Michael Keaton. He did a really good job. Um, pretty much everybody was pretty decent. Naomi Watts, Zach, and I'm not even going to attempt his last name because I can never say it. He was amazing. He did a really good job. But my favorite out of all of them was Edward Norton. He did a really good drunk impression. And uh, I'm going to go off a little bit here. There is something that I am so confused about with this movie. Maybe you can help me out, Tony. Naomi Watts, her character, and then Edward Norton's character, were they brother and sister? No, they were former lovers. Okay, because the entire time that the movie was going, I thought they were brother and sister. Because she said somewhere in the movie, we shared a womb or we shared a vagina. I don't know. She said something like that. So when he tried to have sex with her in the bed, I was totally freaked out. (laughs) So, yeah, I thought they were brother and sister. But, yeah, Edward Norton was my complete favorite. He did a really amazing job with this movie. Some facts of, about Birdman on the road to the Oscars uh, on the 22nd. It's received critical acclaim and was named one of the best films of 2014 by organizations including AFI and the National Board of Review. It was nominated for seven Golden Globe Awards at the 72nd ceremony, including Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy, Best Director, Best Score, and one for Best Screenplay. Keaton won Best Actor, while Norton and Stone were nominated for Best Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress, respectively. At, the, at both the Globe and Glo- Golden Globe Awards and the 21st uh, Screen Actors Guild Awards, where the cast won for Outstanding Cast in a Motion Picture. At the upcoming Academy Awards, Birdman received nine nominations in joint for most for the ceremony, which was with a previous film, The Grand Budapest Hotel, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and acting nominations for Keaton, Norton, and Stone. One thing that I want to talk about with this film, and it's definitely something that has been highly talked about, and, uh, you know, it's very interesting how they pulled it off, is the way they filmed. Uh, The way the movie is filmed, it's in one continuous shot and with one camera. So, Tony, unfortunately, I didn't get to see this. So, Tony, what were your thoughts on the way the the film was filmed? Very impressive. Uh... I can't say the act, uh, the director's name either. I'm not going to attempt to do that. Good old Al. He deserves to win Best Director for pulling this off because there's only a couple shots where it's pretty obvious that they're doing this for editing purposes. Like There's a couple tracking shots where somebody walks through a dark hallway and it gets dark enough where you're like, all right, that was an edit. I get it. But it was unnecessary. Uh, it didn't add anything to the movie to the characters to the story to really anything. It was just kind of an impressive thing to pull off. And that's something that I think is kind of problematic with this whole year. We've got grand Budapest, which does the chapters and the aspect ratio. We've got boyhood, which is filmed over the course of 12 years, which I watched that the other day. And there's nothing that separates that from a normal movie other than the 12 year thing. You've got, Theory of Everything and Imitation Game, which are just like the safe bet kind of things. Probably Selma and American Spy or like that. Uh, American Sniper, not American Spy. Uh, And Birdman's another kind of gimmick thing. And it just seems like this year they gave a lot of credit to things that 
didn't really necessarily need to get the credit for. Kind of like uh, Gravity last year, where that got nominated because it was like impressive visually, but yeah, is it really a better movie than a lot of the things? I don't know. Impressive for the director, really good to pull that off, but I could have done without it, and it wouldn't have changed my opinion about the movie. Brianna, what were your thoughts on the uh, the style of the filming? I loved it. It was absolutely awesome. And that was like the main thing that I found intriguing about it, just the angles from the camera. Because, you know, there'd be one scene where they're just, it looks like they are the character you're seeing from the point of view of the character, and then it will start, you know, moving around all the characters. I thought it was really cool, just the way we could see it. And a lot of the parts where he was talking to himself, I thought that was done really well with the camera, but I loved it. I, I really hope it wins and it probably is going to win. So hopefully one thing that we talk about with all the films here on the four wheel movie club is music. We've talked about in the past three, uh, there was a little bit of controversy when it came to the score for Birdman on December 12th, 2014, the Academy of motion picture arts and sciences, uh, released their long list for Academy award for best original score. And Birdman was absent from that list. Sanchez, who, put the score together received a note from the award committee the previous day explaining the decision quoting rule 15 and writing they felt quote the fact that the film also contains over a half hour of non-original mostly classical music cues that are featured for very prominently in numerous pivotal moments in the film made it difficult for the committee to accept your submission uh end quote sanchez decided to launch an appeal and along uh with the director and the executive vice president of Fox Music sent letters to the chair of the Academy Music Branch Executive Committee, Charles Fox, asking that the committee reconsider the decision. One of the points they raised was the committee had incorrectly calculated the ratio of classical to original music, which, after being clarified, Sanchez thought he was, quote, on really solid ground, end quote. A response from Fox on December 19th, however, explained that a special meeting of the music committee was held, and although its members had, quote, great respect, unquote, for the score and considered it superb thought that the classical music was also used as scoring equally contributes to the effectiveness of the film. And the musical identity of the film was created by both the drums and classical music. As a result, they did not overturn their decision and both Sanchez and the director were not satisfied with the explanation and that quote, to not be able to even participate to not be on the list. That's what's so disappointing. End quote. When it comes to the score and there's controversy, honestly, uh, obviously. Tony, what are your thoughts on the music for Birdman? You know, I don't remember anything of the score. I remember classical pieces. I remember promotional material from, you know, we were, before we were uh, doing this, we are singing the song Crazy and stuff. I don't remember anything original. So good for them for standing up for themselves. But you know what? If the Academy that judges whether or not you've got enough to qualify thinks that there's other things that are better or equal and they've got a reason to knock you out, well, too bad. You know, I mean, doesn't mean that you suck at movie making if you use some other kind of score. You know, classical music can be more effective than anything, but you're just not going to win that award, you know. You want to do it again next time? Then be prepared. You know, suck it up. <laughs> Brianna, what, what did you think about the music behind Birdman? God, it was boring music. Um, it and it was all 
music that I've heard before, so not really a lot of it was original. It would have been a lot better if they had, if they weren't going to make original music for this movie, they should have gone with classic rock. Because I think a classical rock soundtrack for this entire movie would have fit a lot better. Um, something, you know, like a lot of 70s. But, you know, who cares? if They got all these other nominations. Why are they throwing a big fit over one nomination? And it's just music. And it wasn't even that original. So, yeah. They just need to get over themselves. Them pretentious assholes. <laughs> <laughs> When it comes to um, this film as a whole, we talked about casting, we talked about music. Um, when it comes, and we also talked about the style of filming. As in, uh, at least I know Tony and I have done a little bit of acting. When it came to this, I'm going to shoot it in one shot thing. How do you think the actors felt when they were said, "All right, we're going to go for like 15 to 20 minutes straight for this scene"? Don't, don't screw up. Uh, Tony, we'll start with you. They probably loved it. Something different. You know, kind of evokes the feeling of being on stage where you can't fuck up and if you do you're gonna piss everybody off because you gotta start all over again but they apparently didn't take that long to film it so that's another good thing and uh kudos to them for being able to pull it off because i'm sure if i was in that position i probably would have been that one jerk that you know 11 minutes into the scene i flub a line and i'm like ah crap can we start all over again <laughs> But they probably thought that it was really cool to do something different because they're used to the standard thing where, you know, you're filming, especially somebody like Emma Stone coming right in the time period that she was filming Amazing Spider-Man 2. She's got to do a lot of these shots where, you know, she's going to set up for 20 minutes and do a shot where she screams and has to do that 10 times in a row. And then each time it's, all right, we got to, you know, reset up and get ready to do that scream again. So she probably loved doing something different. And Michael Keaton and Edward Norton and a lot of these more seasoned actors and actresses and everything, you know, they, they've had situations where they're used to that kind of stuff. So a little bit of antsy pressure, a little bit of creative juices, probably cool on their end. What would you like do in that kind of a situation? Me? Yeah. Oh, I'm pretty sure the other actors would kill me because I... We, just from experience as we're trying to write a, a YouTube comedy show, uh, I don't say any of the lines that I actually wrote. <laughs> so uh, the setup parts drive people nuts because if you, if you don't have the ability to react to someone who has, like me, who will just go off script 90% of the time, I, I can imagine that being very frustrating. So they would probably hate me. Um, Brianna, what, what did you think about the whole, like the one film, one shot take? How do you think the actors felt about that type of scenario? You know, I don't have too much experience with acting, so I can imagine that it might get a little bit annoying, but I was just kind of wondering, you know, how many mess-ups and screw-ups actually stayed in the film? You know, how many times did they accidentally say the wrong line or do something wrong? They're like, oh, just, you know, fuck it, just keep going. You know, so I'm wondering if there's a lot of that in there. But I thought, I think it might be a little unnerving to have to have that much pressure on you. But, you know, I'm not too experienced, like I said, with acting. So maybe it was kind of fun for him. But if I had done it, I would have definitely messed everybody up. It would have sucked. He was supposed to be Bird Boy, and he said Bird Man. They're like, fuck it, let's just change the name of the movie. Yeah, just call it Bird Man. It was originally called Batman. So, like, yeah. he switched it to Bird. Like, come on, Keaton. You played the role twice. You should have known this by now. Um, <laughs> one last thing as we get down um, – for this particular film, 
Final thoughts, favorite moment, least favorite moment. We'll start with you, Brianna. Okay. Um, this movie, I'm going to give an eight because I really loved it. It was, it, the script was great. The acting was great. And those blurred lines between realism and imaginary were really awesome. Now the ending, I won't give anything away, but that ending just made me say, what the fuck? I did not understand what happened, but I guess they just wanted you to think for yourself. So that was my least favorite scene, the ending. And I just, I sat there for like 20 minutes after the movie was over, just thinking, what the hell just happened? I don't know. And then um, my favorite scene, God, I don't know. The whole thing was good. I liked it all. Any scene with Edward Norton, I guess, especially when he was drinking, he was hilarious. And uh, yeah, I'm going to give it an eight because I thought it was really great. Tony, what were your final thoughts, uh, favorite, least favorite, and score 1 to 10? A couple things that I thought were pretty interesting that I came across on Reddit, which has a subreddit fan theories, which I checked out immediately after this because I knew that there would be some good stuff. Um, I'm going to try to say these without spoiling much. Uh, some person had said that Edward Norton's character, Mike Shiner, is the Joker version of how Michael Keaton is supposed to obviously be a uh, Batman, um, which I thought was kind of interesting, the way that he acts throughout the film. He's kind of an anarchist in some ways, so that was kind of cool. Uh, and a theory that this is going to be tough to navigate without spoiling it, that I thought was really interesting, although I don't believe it's the true intention, is that the ending has to do with the comet and what Emma Stone's character is drawing on the little uh, pieces of the toilet paper or tissue paper or whatever it is. Uh, the idea of that possibly being involved in that instead of what you would think that the ending would be. So that's an interesting take. And I'm kind of curious if uh, anybody out there that's listening to this, if you have a theory about that, make sure to leave your comments below. Cause that'll be interesting. Um, Something I thought was funny, the very first note that I had written down of something that caught my attention was a stupid throwaway kind of line, but it was a good one that made me laugh, was uh, Edward Norton flirting around with Naomi Watts, and he just says, Leslie, play with my balls. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Because that took me by surprise. Uh, But my favorite scene is uh, Emma Stone flipping out on Michael Keaton, telling him that he's not important to the world and that he should just kind of give up and all that kind of stuff. That was easily my favorite part of the whole film. I really actually liked Emma Stone's character. I thought that she was something that maybe she wasn't a hundred percent necessary in the movie, but she was a good break from some of the other characters because she was different enough and, uh, kind of brought something odd to the mix. Least favorite. I really didn't have anything written down for that. And that's kind of just, more so, the things that I didn't like all kind of blended together. Eh, that's not really a pun for the uh, directing uh, the film, but uh, anything that I wasn't too fond of, it wasn't horribly offensive. So it wasn't anything that stood out to my mind where it was just like, oh, Jesus, this scene won't end, or this is like one crazy summer where it, just, <laughs> it should have never began or something. I will never live that down. <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> 
God, that movie's terrible. Uh, I'm going to give this a 7.5 out of 10. I can't quite give it an 8 because that's starting into uh, getting to the territory of movies that I would really, really want to keep watching. And I don't think I'll ever watch this again. Maybe one other time, a couple years from now, when I've completely forgotten about what happens and stuff. But I do like this the best. And if I were to watch any two movies from this list over uh, the course of whenever I would watch them, it'd be Grand Budapest and Birdman. But if I were to recommend any of them, I would recommend Birdman. So best movie out of this bunch, kind of thinking it's going to win best picture. If it doesn't, not the end of the world. All right. So we've gone through four movies here on the uh, four real movie club. Like we usually do. So just to recap and really just to find out what we're all thinking. Um, Tony, who takes away best picture this year? Before I saw it, I thought it was going to be Boyhood. I still haven't watched Selma, Whiplash, or American Sniper, but I'm assuming that the three of them are just kind of meh and not really worth it. I'm going to say Birdman wins. And if I'm wrong about that, it won't be too, too surprising. But, hey, that's what the unexpected virtue of ignorance is, I guess. Brianna, out of the eight films nominated, what do you think's walking away with Best Picture? Besides these four, I've not seen any of the other ones, but I've heard a lot of good things about American Sniper. Everybody that I talk to says that it's probably the best movie that they've seen this year. And these are people that don't normally watch, you know, sniper movies or war movies, nothing like that. They said Bradley Cooper is awesome. So out of the four movies that I liked... I think Birdman, Birdman's going to win, but American Sniper, it's just too many people have told me how awesome it is for it not to possibly be up there, too. So it's kind of a up in the air between those two. Go watch Kingsman instead, everybody. <laughs> yes, definitely go check that out. That was phenomenal. Um, so what about you, Dace? That, what do you think's winning? Me, I personally, I hope it's Birdman because I'm really excited for it. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm really excited for it. But I really think uh, if that doesn't win, it would be American Sniper because that seems to be getting all the buzz. Unless Al Sharpton shows up, then it's going to be Selma. <laughs> you, know, you, you can't stop that man. When, he want, he, when he's got his mind on something, he'll take care of it. Um, well, that, that kind of wraps up the four-wheel movie club for us here. Check out the Academy Awards, which will air Sunday, February 22nd. Then after that, uh, in that coming week, Catch the Fanboys Anonymous uh, review point of the Oscars, the winners, the losers, the best moments, how damn long it ran, and what was the most boring thing, and if NPH really pulled it off. He will. So as we go around the block one more time, we'll start with you, Tony. What do you got going on? So many podcasts. I think I'm going to record a podcast every day this week until we just die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Check out um, the SNL podcast. I'm sure Dace will mention that a little bit more later on. Uh, but we've got the Monday Night Raw post show for your wrestling fans as well as Smack Talk. You can find those on smartcountmoment.com. We've got some possibly another episode of the All Talk Show coming up on Tuesday, megapowersradio.com. And you can obviously subscribe to that, youtube.com slash show. Pay attention to pretty much everything else going under A Mango Tree and the Tony Mango side of things. FanboysAnonymous.com's always got stuff coming your way, so if you're not checking that out by now, or if you're not on iTunes or Stitcher and you're on YouTube or vice versa or whatever, you click around, you'll find links to a lot of different stuff, and I'm sure you'll love it. Brianna, what do you got going on? This week? 
Sure. Nothing at all. <laughs> this is my vacation week. So, yeah, nothing. <laughs> what about I'm next week? I'm lazy all week, and I'm going to do nothing. There you go. I, hey, vacation's vacation. I envy you. You want to do a couple of my podcasts? <laughs> oh, no, I'm doing nothing. Unless you want to pay me a million dollars. Believe me, if I had it, I would. I've had in like six months, so yes. There you go. Now it's time for this guy who's got the uh, friggin' mouthful. Follow me on Twitter at The Dace Man. Check us out Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern on Mega Powers Radio for The Dace Man Show. Tony hit on it a little bit tomorrow. We'll be doing a one-hour kickoff show I'm for... <laughs> for Saturday Night Live's 40th anniversary special, join us here. On, well, join us on MegapowersRadio.com. We'll go live. We're going to talk about our favorite things about SNL over the past 40 years, considering none of us were around when the first episode aired. Um, check out. I said the Dace Man Show. Check out the All Talk Show, which would be awesome. We do one this week. We like to call hookers. It's fun. We ask for meatball parms. Uh, check out oldtimewrestling.net. We have shows every Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern and 7 p.m. on that special night occasion. Uh, check out myself and Mr. Payton. We'll both be at PAX East up in Boston. As long as there's no snow, like all the snow's gone, they don't cancel that shit. Um, and I guess that's pretty much all I got going on that I can think of. Oh, check out the Internet Goddess Tournament that's happening on fanboysnoz.com. The first side of the bracket is up. You have till the 21st to vote. Go out there, go crazy, don't tweet me. I really don't care who you vote for. And just vote, 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 and get the. we'll crown somebody this year. Last year it was Candy Wayne, a.k.a. Boxy, that won. We'll see who wins uh, this year. So, for all of you moviegoers out there, thank you for joining us for another Four Real Movie Club. Stay tuned, because the next two months should be fun for all you nerds out there, because we will be doing the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Phase 1 next month, and Phase 2 the following month. So, for all you movie lovers, thank you for kicking back, drinking a Coke, eating some popcorn, and let's have some fun at the Oscars. This has been the Four Real Movie Club. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. I'm too over this. Good day, sir! You stay classy, San Diego. Rose? Well, we're going, we don't need Rose. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm finished. That'll help you. I'll go. Hasta la vista, baby. Hey, everybody! We're all gonna get late! You're still here? It's over. Go home. <laughs>